It's a blessing to be able to share the truth with you, to share the gospel with you. To think about these words of Christ this morning that I find very fascinating. Um, this is a subject that sometimes when I, when I think about it, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, should I... What should I should I preach on this? And then I was looking over my schedule recently and saw that I have not preached on this subject in about a year and a half. And then I thought, well, it's really hot outside. So it'd be a great morning to preach on the subject of hell. All right. Now, in seriousness, hell is a real place and it should be a concern for us as those that we love and we care about. Uh, what the Bible has to say in regards to hell and who will be a part of that. There are a lot of false ideas in regards to the subject of God's wrath uh, and the day of judgment and hell. So I'll be able to address a few of them. In fact, I was thinking, I, I don't know if I'll do this, but maybe next week I could, I could possibly do a follow-up to this message. And if you have any thoughts or questions on it, uh, let me know. So our main text this morning, we're going to be coming from Rome, uh, Revelation 14, verses 6 to 13. Thought a very interesting passage to start with for a number of reasons. We'll come to that in a minute. So how do people feel about the existence of hell? Well, you've got a lot of people that say, well, hell can't possibly exist. There's no way that a loving God would have created hell. And yet Jesus says that God created hell for the devil and his angels in Matthew chapter 25. Who am I going to go with? I'm going to go with Christ. I'm going to listen to him and what he says on the matter of hell, that there is a place for the wicked. Now, a lot of people will say, well, there's a hell, but it's for the few. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that, that uh, many will be that go the road of destruction and go to hell and few will find away and find life. So that's very concerning. Well, what am I going to do? I need to know the way. Well, what's the way? Well, I'm going to listen to Christ. I'm going to listen to Jesus. What he has to say on the matter. I'm going to go with what he has to say on the subject of hell. And there are a lot of people today that have other ideas about hell. They're like, okay, hell is real. But what I think is that people go to hell and they burn for a little while until they no longer exist. And I've gone through the scriptures, and if I could find that anywhere in the scriptures, I would say, yeah, okay, that sounds like a nice idea that you would, that someone would go to this place of torment and they would be there for a limited time until it's over with. Or maybe it would be like, a, like purgatory or something like that. I could come up with great ideas, I think, for myself, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible, what the scriptures say, and Jesus preaching more about hell than anybody, tells us directly and straightly about hell, that it is eternal, that it is everlasting. There is nothing in the Bible that's taught about annihilation. None of those things are there. The Bible teaches very clearly about the existence of hell. And so I, I trust what Jesus says. Jesus accepts the Bible as it was passed down to him and as he has delivered it and brought it to us through his apostles and prophets. And I accept what the scriptures have to say on this matter. Some of these things might at first seem kind of hard to understand. Why eternal um, why is it eternal torment? Why is there an eternal punishment? I would like to know more about that. Well, those are things that we can definitely talk about and discuss. And it really gets down to this, that you have the state of mind and the state of heart and rebellion of God against God, against your eternal creator, that he offers you eternal life through his only son. And for you to say, no, God, I don't want it. I'd rather be apart from you. And I think another fascinating thing about this is the idea that when someone thinks like, well, once I get to hell, I'll repent. 
I think what we see, for instance, in Luke chapter 16, with the rich man and Lazarus, that the rich man in torment, he was in sorrow that he was in hell. But for what reason? Not because he had rebelled against God or because he had lived the way that he did or that he had overlooked the resurrection or that he wasn't paying attention and reading his Bible or that he didn't care for Lazarus like he should. His regret was the fact that he was there. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 about worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. What you see there in the context of hell and those in rebellion against God don't have a godly sorrow. They have a worldly sorrow even then. I'm sorry that I'm here But would they have changed? And what change in their heart would they have made now that they have completely cut themselves off from their Creator? Those are things to think about. And so it makes sense to me in the teachings of Christ that hell is eternal and has eternal consequences. Another thing I want to look at this morning is over in Revelation 14. That ties into this. And my main focus is going to be on that point. But I want you to notice a number of things that are pointed out here in Revelation 14. Revelation 14. And let's read verses 6 through 13. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel, the eternal gospel, to proclaim to those who inhabit the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And what we see again is the angels are at work with with the church and its mission and proclaiming the gospel and the mission from the very beginning is to take the gospel to all the world. And so in this picture in the book of Revelation, you get three angels right after one another. And the first angel is talking about the proclamation of the gospel everywhere. Now look at verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, listen what comes after that. Fear God. Number one, fear God. Respect Him and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. And so you think about that. Worship God who is the Creator. Give Him glory. Fear Him. He's the one who's going to be the ultimate judge, the Creator. Verse 8. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality. So Babylon is the city that's depicted in the book of Revelation. She has enticed the nations to idolatry, to rebel against God, not to worship God. And this is a city that is drunk with the blood of the saints, it says in Revelation 17 and 18, as it gives us more of a description of her fall. We also see about this city that is a city full of sin that sits on seven hills. The ancient world, everybody knew the city that sat on seven hills. It was Rome. And so here you've got a description of the fall of Rome for all the immorality in which she has enticed the world to engage in. Keep reading here. Then another angel, here's the third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, that's the mark of the beast. Look at verse 10. And he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his rage. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. All right, so that's what's going to come upon these individuals. So in most of the world at that time, and if you back up, you can read a lot about this mark of the beast. The beast is this government world power 
which in connection with Rome, we can see in Revelation 17 verses 9 through 11, in the first century would have been the Caesars. And so images were made of them and people worship the Caesars. And what we've seen in things throughout history very much like this, where you've had beast-like leaders who come along. In the 20th century, you might think about Hitler and Mao and Pol Pot and others who have claimed uh, these high statuses, Stalin, these evil dictators, and then those who would adore them and submit to them and to worship them. And what we read here in the text is that this beast and anybody who worship him or takes on the mark. You go back in Revelation 13 and you see that you could not buy or sell or get anything unless you had the mark of the beast. Now we know that ancient Rome did this. If you didn't worship, uh, if you didn't worship all the gods of Rome, if you didn't worship Caesar, then you couldn't trade. You couldn't have access in the market. You could not buy or sell. And so someone might say, well, is this going to happen again? Is this going to happen in the future? With something similar to it will happen. We see in Revelation 20, that the things we see in Revelation that happened in the first few centuries of the church are going to happen again. But my emphasis this morning is on this. What happens to the beast and those who worship him? Well, here's the government authority. We're worshiping him as God and we're bowing down before him because he gives us what we want. And that very much goes on today where people worship the government or they worship certain political figures that they shouldn't be worshiping. And it says here that they will be cast into hell. We'll get more details on that in a minute. And that they're tormented with fire and brimstone. That's what it says. The smoke of their torments go up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. That tells me very clearly that you might think here, well, they were just deceived and these people were worshiping the beast. They didn't know any better. Certainly their punishment would not be forever. And yet the scriptures say it is forever. It does go on forever. And you have these, these things in this Bible that talks about, uh, well, we read about everlasting torment and the the smoke and the fire that's unquenchable these little details right there tell us the extent about hell it is a real place that those who rebel against god and turn against him have this judgment against them now again some people will say what about this what about that you know not everybody can hear the gospel they might say and i would very much disagree with you The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that all people can know God, that God holds them without excuse, that they can come to know and look at creation and believe in Him. Acts chapter 17 teaches this. This is throughout the Scriptures that the Bible expects you to know God and to seek Him out. And the Bible says if you seek God, Jesus says, you seek and you will find. The gospel will find its way to the person who is diligently seeking out their Creator. For one who is looking for God, it will find them. And so there's no person on the planet who can say, well, I was a good person, but I didn't know you, God. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that they are without excuse, that God will no longer overlook such ignorance of who he is. So those are things that definitely come to mind as we think about God's righteous judgment in Revelation 14. I want to draw some more out and make some observations about this, but before we go any further, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings in the study of your word this morning. Father, I ask your blessings upon myself to rightly handle the Word of God. Bless us all to do that, to consider what you have said here, to take these words from the Bible and from the Scriptures, and to use them and recognize the reality of hell, Gehenna, the lake of fire. And Father, bless us with the wisdom and the love and compassion and the mercy to snatch others from the fire to deliver others from this devastation that is coming before them. Father, bless us with the courage and boldness just to speak your word 
about your son. Father, again, we ask your blessings this morning. May these things change us and may we use them when we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we read through, we've just read through Revelation 14, verses 6 through 13. Again, here's some of the themes that we see here. What else is eternal here? The gospel is eternal. Notice the description there. The gospel is eternal. And it goes to who? So if you're going through the bulletin, you can fill in the blank here. It goes to every people, of every nationality, of every ethnicity, of every language, of every tribe. So it goes to all these, these people. And so we see the purpose of the gospel. It's a good message to save people from God's judgment. <clears throat> God has created all. He is the standard of right and wrong, and ultimately He will be the judge on all people. And so we got these constant warnings in the Bible. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a judgment coming, so be ready. So God's judgment is declared upon those who reject the eternal gospel. That eternal gospel is given to save you. That is the message, the good news. Here's Christ. He loves you. Here's God come in the flesh. He suffers for you. He conquers death. He gives you the resurrection from the dead. And your response to that is, I don't want to live a holy life. I don't want to live that way. I don't have time for that. I'm going to live the way that I want to live. And you don't know in the day in which you will be held in account before God. The day in which you will die. When we read here in Revelation 14, we're not reading about Judgment Day. We're reading about just merely God's judgment upon the beast and the people who worshipped this figure in the Bible. And we see the consequences, God's judgment against them. We also see this. We see that there's a deception. If you backed up and you read Revelation chapter 13, you read about the false prophet who's mentioned there. The false prophet be compared to the media today. False news. The one who goes around and tells you, you need to worship the beast. And you need to go and comply with whatever these uh, authorities are saying when they're contrary to God. Now, the Bible tells us to submit to the authorities, but it doesn't tell us to worship them. It doesn't tell us to disobey God rather than them. The Bible says we must obey God rather than man. And so what we see here about deception is the second angel declared the fall of the harlot city of Babylon. And that is because this city, Rome, is representative of what we often see today as well. And that's the third thing I would add, is that we, we see the beast, the authority, we see the media that's going to says worship this authority, and then we're seeing the economy. We got the economy of a certain area, of a certain city, and here Babylon says come and worship with us because we give you all of these great things, and yet it will all fall. Revelation 18 tells us about that. So there's, there's deception. This deception comes in the world, this theme to entice the nations as and we see these patterns repeated even today. We see sinful rebellion. The third angel gives God's judgment against all those again who worship uh, the beast, his image, and receive his mark. And receive his mark. And then there's fiery wrath and fire and brimstone. And some have said, well, hell can't be a literal place. And yes, it's a real place. And it's a physical place. And I know that for another reason, because Jesus says both body and soul will be cast into hell. This is a reality. You know, someone might say, well, I'll, I'll be dead. I won't have my body by then. And the Bible says that the dead, the wicked, will have their own kind of resurrection by which they will be thrown bodily into hell. And you can read more about that in John uh, chapter 5, uh, verses, I think, 22 down to verse 27. So John 14, we see this, the extent of hell, the torment of fire that endures forever. We have the warnings in the Bible. We have the warnings of Christ. Well, why do you warn somebody of something? You know, you see your neighbor's house on fire. What do you do? You go over there and you warn them. 
house is on fire, you're going to get burned. You know, we, that's, that's, the, that's what we, we would expect our neighbors to do for us. That's what we would do in that situation is we want to give that warning. And so we have that throughout the Bible of that warning. And then the passage that I didn't finish reading here, verses 12 and 13. We have an encouragement in all of this. So Revelation 14, 12 and 13. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I want you to notice here. What makes you a saint and holy? What, what makes you consecrated as a people and set apart from any other? It says right here, a description of the Christian is, is that they keep God's commandments. That's what you do. And that you keep your faith in Jesus. You know, we want to be saved from the fire. That's what we do. We don't compromise. Verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors and for their deeds follow with them. So we're promised the blessing of rest when we die. And a lot of people today, they know and we recognize the Bible says that death is the enemy and they're afraid of death. They don't want to think about death. That's usual response is I don't want to think about death and I don't want to think about hell and I don't want to think about judgment. But it isn't, you're not going to get away from that. You're not going to get away from the ultimate judgment. You're not going to escape death. And you're not going to escape hell unless you have Christ. He's the only way. The Bible tells us a lot about hell. It says people kindle their own fire. I've often heard atheists and you know, unbelievers are like, I can't believe in a, in a benevolent God who would just take people as though they're good and innocent. And then throw them into hell just to watch them be tormented. What does the scripture say? Does it say it that way? Does the scripture spit that way? The Bible says that people who do wicked and rebel against God are kindling their own fire. You ever built a fire before? You get it and you put it together? You know, but think about that. This is what's happening with those who are rebelling against God is they're just stacking up their sin. They're building up their own fire. They're storing up wrath in the day of judgment. Romans 2 and verse 4 and 5 says that. That's what's happening there. You brought this on yourself and you've done this to yourself. And God has provided every way for you to believe and to come into faith in him. For you to come to the gospel and to trust in him. For you to live a holy life God has given to you. He's he's given you every warning to get out of that burning house. And what does the world do? A lot of people just say, I'm okay. I don't want to think about that. It's not for me right now. And it's foolishness. But that's not going to stop us. They can stop us as Christians from persuading others, from knowing God's judgment and reasoning with them to leave that. God's judgment is to give perseverance to Christians. And we see here in Revelation is because God is victorious over evil. He's ultimately victorious. I want to share with you a few more scriptures in regards to what the Bible says on the subject of hell. I want to start right here that those who end up in hell... All right, are those who are accountable to God, accountable for their actions, and have not obeyed the gospel. And the Bible says it that way, obeyed the gospel. Obeyed the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, of dying to self, being buried in water, and rising to the newness of life. First Peter 4 and verse 17, Peter says, For it is time for the judgment to begin with the house of God. In other words, God's judgment begins with His people, the church, but they have an advocate. They have Jesus Christ at their side. They have his blood washing away their sins. And he says, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will be the outcome? The contrast to the house of God are those who don't obey God's gospel. 
And so we read this, Hebrews chapter 10, 26 to 27. For if you go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire. You know it, but you live sinfully and rebellious. There's no more sacrifice for you, but there's awaiting judgment, a terrifying judgment, a fury and fire. You go down a little bit further in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, what does it say? It talks about the terrifying expectation, a terrifying thing um, to embrace or be in the fury of God. And we see it reiterated right here. He says, which will consume the adversaries. He says, how much worse punishment do you think will deserve he who has trampled underfoot? Listen to this. Punishment. What punishment? Why hell? Because they've trampled underfoot the Son of God. That's why. That's why there's hell. And have disregarded as defiled the blood of the covenant. They've disregarded Jesus' sacrifice and his blood by which he was sanctified and have insulted the Spirit of grace. I don't need the Holy Spirit and I don't need his grace is what they're saying. And they're separated. 2 Thessalonians talks about the day of judgment in chapter 1. Sorry, yes, chapter 1, verses 7 and following. It says, God will pay judgment at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. Which tells me something. If God is judging those who do not know God, it's because they should have known Him. And we see that throughout the Scriptures. Again, I refer back to Acts chapter 17. Verses 22 to 31. These will pay the penalty of, notice this, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You know, this is what God's saving us from. This is what Christ has done for us to save us from this end. And so when we read this as Christians, we should be reasoning, you know, as just like the first Christians did. They were persuaded, and they say, we know in the judgment of God we persuade other men, and we want to snatch them out of the fire. Jude, verse 23 says, snatch them out of the fire, save them from the consequences. Notice the descriptions of hell in the book of Revelation, Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. A lot of people think, oh, this is my picture of hell. Satan's running it. No, Satan's not running it. When Satan goes there on the day of judgment, he's going to be in torment there. He's going to be thrown there. That's what his judgment is. And it says where the beast is and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented how long? Day and night, forever and ever. That's the extent of hell. The Bible says in Revelation 20, we get a picture here of the, the judgment day. So, the day after, when, when Christ has come and the resurrection has come, there's going to be a judgment. And it says here, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no peace was found for them. And then I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things that were written in the books, according to their deeds. Now, what books would that be? What would be judged according to what did Jesus say in John 12, verses 47 and 47, uh, 47 48? He says, you'll be judged according to my words. I said, I don't judge you, but my words will be your judgment on that day. He goes on here to tell us what happens. He says, the sea gave up the dead. That's the resurrection in which we're in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged and every one of them according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were done away with. They were thrown into the lake of fire. 
That is, this path to, to death of Hades and the path um, of death comes to an end. No more death. And this is on Judgment Day. Then the second death is the lake of fire. This is the second death. We want no part of this death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's what the scriptures say. Who's in there? What have they done? Well, unbelief, cowardice. And we got a long list throughout the scriptures. You want to go to um, Mark chapter 7 and verses 20 to 23. You can go to Galatians chapter 5 and read about the sins of the flesh. Uh, verses, what is that? Verses 19 through 21. There are places throughout the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6 also comes to mind. Where you can read these long lists that says, You will not enter the kingdom of God if you live this way and do these evil things. And we read here Revelation 21 and verse 8. But as for the cowardly, that's striking right there. The cowardly... The cowardly are going to the lake of fire. And he starts with that. Don't be a coward. All revelation is written for you not to be a coward, for you to have perseverance and endurance to live as a Christian, that when there's peer pressure and others around you, that you just don't go along with and agree with them, but you first and primarily agree with God and with Christ. And then you love other people from that. He says for the cowardly and then the unbelieving. Again, the unbelieving are held accountable. And it says an abominable, those who do putrid, disgusting, evil things, and murderers, and sexually immoral, those who have uh, sexual relations outside of wedlock. That's sexually immorality there. That's the Greek word, porneia. That's what it means. It says persons, um, sexually immoral persons. It says sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, it's, it should be scary to you. It should be something that's like, this is, this is real. And Christ emphatically warned about that day in the day of judgment. Kevin read for us this morning from Matthew 13. Gives a vivid picture of the day of judgment, what's going to happen. And the angels of God. And he read it very well. I don't think I have to go back over it again. I'm going to leave it with you to think about that. And Jesus constantly warned about those things. He says, there's a day and a day coming. The, the, the field's been planted, but the weeds are going to grow up. But one day that field's going to be cut. And the grain's going to be gathered in the barn. And the weeds are going to be set aside and burned. That's his warning. I want you to listen to Jesus' words here in Mark chapter 9. In Mark 9, 42 and following, it says, whoever causes one of these little ones. He's talking about children who believe to stumble. Now, that's very striking. You cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, reading in the context, I would definitely think this would include anybody who is taking advantage of little children. Right? I don't know of any other way to put it. Anyone who's abusing them in any other way. In fact, there's some descriptions here that, that gives you more inclination of what kind of people Jesus is talking about. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe <clears throat> to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone giant stone was hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea. Then he gives a warning here. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life uh, crippled than having two hands to go into hell and into the unquenchable fire. I want you to notice this. Why does it matter if I have hands or not if it's just a spiritual place? Well, it matters because again, in the resurrection, it will be a bodily existence. In other words, your sin or your something in your life causes you to sin, you need to cut it off. It's hyperbole here. Jesus is making a point. If your, sin, if your hand causes you to sin, you need to remove it. Now your hand's not really what's causing you to sin, is it? But whatever it is, remove it. Why? And he says, I'll give you a warning. Why? Because there's a place called Gehenna Hell that has unquenchable fire. Notice the description there of unquenchable fire. It's unending. 
Those are the words Jesus uses. And he goes on there, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Where does that come from? That's a quote from Isaiah 66, verse 24, the very last verse of the book of Isaiah. A warning about hell. A warning about what it's going to be like. A warning about the physical nature of it and the torment that goes on there for those who have absolutely rebelled against God. Those who said, you know, God, you gave me my food, you gave me my life, you've given me all the blessings. I'm going to go without it and rebel against you. What is that going to be like? Well, it's going to be torment. It's going to be fire. It makes sense. All right, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verses 45 to 48, He says, If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Well, Jesus, he's, He says things that are offensive. That bothers, that bothers us. And this is a reality and disturbing right to the core that I need to repent. And it's worth giving up anything in this life right now to avoid hell. That's his message. Follow God. Seek him out. Seek the forgiveness that's in Christ. Listen to what Christ said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. He says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable, unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who's able to destroy. The word destroy here, it means to be lost or to perish. It does not mean to be annihilated. And talk about that another time. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. To be lost in hell, Christ warns against. So what we've seen this morning is very clear. Jesus, even down to the end of his life, he declared the God's judgment. He declared that the fire of hell is eternal and ongoing, that the punishment is eternal. Matthew 25 and verse 46. And it's on those who rebel and turn against God, who do wicked, who don't care and help others, who don't act in love, who are not faithful to him. Uh, we can go down a long list, but the existence of hell, it adds a lot more now to the, this truth that Christ loves you. That he came to overcome sin and death for you. Now that eternal life that he now gives to me has a lot more meaning. Oh, I'm going to, you offer me what? You're going to give me everlasting life? I'm going to resurrect from the dead? I'm going to live in a heavenly country you prepared for your people, for your holy people? If we remain faithful to you and obedient to your gospel, that you promise a city... Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10 and verse 16. I read all those details, and they're even sweeter and more beautiful to me when I think of the everlasting life that's promised. And I have no, I want no part in this eternal fire. In Matthew 25 and verse 34, as Jesus tells a parable and depicts himself as the king, he says, the king will say to those who are on his right, come you who are blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This morning, I encourage you, make sure that your life is right, but you look around at those around you that you love and you care about, and you give them the same invitation. Come to the kingdom of Christ. Come for his blessings. Listen to what he says, what he promises, what he gives to us, and listen to his warnings about what will happen if you don't. So as we've seen this morning, we have a number of passages that have said, to escape this fire, you need to go through the water. Makes sense. You need to obey the gospel. 
And so, you need to obey the gospel this morning. We encourage you to do that. Jesus, the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Colossians 2, Romans 6 tells us that means I need to die to my old self, having confessed my faith that Jesus is the Lord and that He rose from the dead. I die to that old self. I repent of my sins. I'm buried in the waters of baptism where the blood of Christ washed away my sins and I rise up in the newness of life. It is through that way and only that way can I be saved from everlasting, unquenchable fire. I thank God for that. And therefore, we can be those in Revelation 14 who are blessed in the Lord. I encourage you this morning. You need prayers. You need encouragement. You need to obey the gospel. Come right now. Let's stand and sing together.